We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Folks, we talked about it. We've talked about it for years. Parody in the women's game, and that parody is alive and well. Talking hoops here on College Sports Now. Rob Joyce here, joined by her hoop stats, Megan Gower. And Megan, how's the bracket looking? It's not awful. It's not great, but it's not awful either. <laughs> okay, mine's, mine's, I don't want to say shambolic, but it's not great um, because two one seeds lost. I apologize if the next hour or so, a little bit discombobulated, there have been... 48 games in the last four days, plus any men's games you may or may not have watched. So uh, my brain's a little mushy. Uh, I saw you tweeting in the very early hours of uh, we're recording on Tuesday on the CSN feed. We're going to release this on Wednesday, but yeah, Megan was a, uh, I, I don't think you've slept a whole lot. So we'll try to, you know, we'll try to get through everything. We'll recap what happened this past weekend. We'll preview all of the sweet 16 games and try to get into maybe some elite eight potential matchups, but I want to start with a, a selfish moment. I got a ton wrong, like a lot wrong last week about predicting the first couple of weeks. So looking at you, Middle Tennessee State, looking at you, Iowa State in particular, those two, we'll get to everything that I got wrong. Um, but I got one thing right. And this was not last week. This was a month ago. But by golly, I'm going to give myself some flowers if I can control technology. It's February 3rd. I, I will call it now if I'm right. I'll brag about it. If I'm wrong, I never said it. Disregard. <laughs> this will be the year a number one seed loses in the second round. Probably not South Carolina. A one seed's going to lose in the round of 32, which hasn't happened in a very long time. Bang. So not only did one one seed lose Megan Gower, two lost. Where do you want to start? You want to start with Stanford? You want to start with Indiana? Let's start with Indiana because that was the more recent one. Crazy game last night. Wild fourth <laughs> quarter. Miami. I don't know how much how much of it did you get to watch live from Gamble. So I did watch the most of the fourth quarter because it kind of lined up with halftime 
at the UConn game and somewhere on the side of the UConn broadcast, you will see me, Alexa Philpu and Kathy Oriema staring at my screen and screaming. Wow. You got, you got Kathy over there. Wow. <laughs> Royalty. So Miami controlled the tempo pretty much throughout Indiana made that third quarter run and then wild fourth quarter, the Hoosiers with a couple of big threes from the freshman, uh, Yard in Gare zone, that, that step back was phenomenal, but th- the night belonged to the Hurricanes. What was your overall takeaway? Do you, are you, I don't want to say are you more concerned because the season's over. Do you credit Miami more or do you blame Indiana more? I think you have to credit Miami more. I think we have to do that with all of these because I think we've, you know, there's been like this increased parity in the women's game all season long. We keep saying how like it's gonna be a crazier tournament, and that if we just like say like oh these like one seeds are awful, like I feel like it takes away from it, and especially because it's like kind of the norm on the men's side, right? And I think we wanna, you know, that's where you want things to go on the women's side. So I think we've got to credit the the eight nines and the the other teams that pulled off the upsets. But I mean, Miami led. Pretty much that whole way. entire game, the whole way, yeah. So I think it's just a, a really solid performance from them. They've struggled a lot with their offense this season, but the defense been really good, and they were able to do just enough offense to get, get the win yesterday. And this game almost never happened. If you remember back on Friday, whatever the heck day it was, Saturday, I guess, they're down, what, 17 to Oklahoma State, came back. Cowgirls nearly won it at the buzzer, so this game almost didn't happen. What what boggled me was credit Miami. They controlled the tempo and they completely made Indiana play their way. Felt like it, you know it, the Big Ten. They have Iowa. They have Ohio State. They have some of these teams that like to get up and run. And Indiana, I thought, gave way too much respect to the the fast break game that was or wasn't of Miami. It's like they put a shot up and then five players are sprinting back on defense. And then they just let Miami take the air out of the ball a little bit. I I, I was very confused by the, the first half game plan in particular. I mean, the Indian is not a great offensive rebounding team to begin with, but I just thought Miami was able to set the tone from the first quarter. They withstood the third quarter barrage and they made some winning plays. Yeah, exactly. And their defense was able to to shut Indiana down just enough to to get the win as well. So I think that's a theme that we're seeing that the defense in a lot of cases is winning or making some interesting games in other cases. But yes, and Indiana got a couple of big time shots from the freshman Garzone, which we just mentioned, but or Garzone, excuse me. This is not just an Indiana problem. I, I noticed this a lot when you need buckets late. They needed a three, obviously, so in, in the final seconds. So that that's a little bit different. But they were down, what, one or two a couple of times. They get an open layup. They miss it. Grace Berger had it. a decent look. It was what, 12 feet out, but she was off balance. I don't get why Mackenzie Holmes didn't get a touch in the possessions leading up to needing that three-pointer. And again, not Indiana problem. It just seems every time someone has a big, but they're down two in a late-game situation or one, like we're gonna go to our guards and you know maybe get a three when we're down two, get a three, heck, even if it's tied or we're only down one. I just she had 18 points in the second half. I don't get how she doesn't get a touch in the final two minutes of the game. Yeah, I mean she's been their best player all season long. It should have been like the obvious answer of who you want to go to down the stretch, especially because she was obviously finding success in the second half. She's been able to find them success all season long. 
it's it's baffling i think you see it a lot you're right but it is very confusing but kudos to miami destiny harden she stole the show she uh had those early three-pointers. She did miss a couple from the line, but boy, she more than made up for it, not only with her shot, but then her post-game interview. Not safe for work. It was it was late. It's fine. It's on cable. And then uh, Ola Pendande, she only averages like eight a game. She had 19, so congrats. Miami is off to its first Sweet 16 since 1992 in stunning fashion as the, were they the ninth seed? They were the ninth seed. Uh, so the first 19 since 98 to move on, excuse me, to since 2009 to move on to the Sweet 16. We'll go back to Greenville, too, though, because of the events of Sunday night in which Stanford we've talked a lot about Stanford in the last month. Would they figure it out? We both gave them the benefit of the doubt last week and put them in the final four. They got got by Ole Miss. Yeah, they and another game where they didn't win, lead the whole game. It was almost all the way through. And he made a lot of credit to Cameron Brink because she clearly wasn't at 100%. And she was fighting for her life out there trying to save their season. But almost just absolutely got the better of everyone not named Cameron Brink in that game. Yeah, I mean, Haley Jones, she had 16. Took her 19 shots to get her 16. She had five turnovers. I guess we answered the the, the question that never got answered for Stanford, or I guess it did. How much would they miss Anna Wilson or the Hull sisters? Turned out to be a lot because they just, they never, they never figured it out. They looked okay in November, but once, once conference play started, they just, it's never looked like Stanford. Yeah. I think Ole Miss was really able to, to take them out of everything they wanted to do in that game. I mean, I thought the first half, it was being played entirely the way Ole Miss wants to play basketball. And then Ole Miss was hitting some big shots too. And you kind of almost thought like Stanford would figure it out in the second half. Cause you're like, Ole Miss isn't going to keep hitting threes like this. And they didn't keep really hitting threes. They had one like, field five... goal before. Yeah, exactly. And yet they still were able to pull off the win. The defense was just so disruptive to Stanford. They couldn't get anything to fall. Ole Miss didn't shoot 30%. They made one shot in the fourth. They didn't make their free throws, so that that helps. Ton of credit to them. This is a team that had South Carolina on the ropes, lost in overtime. But, I mean, Stanford, I think, the, two, two teams this year, I think I saw Alexa tweet this out, two teams shot below 30% or below like 25% in wins this year, and they were both against Stanford. The USC game was the <laughs> other one. So Ole Miss Coachio, she's doing it. I don't want to say the right way as in and imply other teams aren't, but this is someone who she, you know, on the bio on her, on the Ole Miss website, it says she didn't play for Pat Summit. She didn't, you know, coach under Tara Vanderveer or Gina Oriyama or Don Staley. She you know, immigrated over, started in the D2 or the Juco route and worked her way up. And this is a program that two years ago, two years ago, three years ago, didn't win an SEC game. Now they're on the sweet 16. It's wild stuff. Yeah, it's really impressive. <laughs> uh, last thought on Stanford. I, I'm wondering what happened to Lauren Betts. She was so good at the end of the regular season. She was with Cameron Brink fouled out. She was kind of the go-to person in that double overtime win over Colorado. Since then, she played eight minutes in the loss to Utah. She played eight minutes in the Pac-12 tournament over Oregon. Then 10 minutes in the semifinals in the loss to the Bruins. She played 17, but they blew out Sacred Heart in the first round. She played eight minutes on Sunday. I don't like, you know, I, I'm not there at practice. I, you know, we don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but 
that seems mind-boggling to me. Yeah, I thought I was really surprised, especially too in that the Ole Miss game that they didn't give her more looks because like Cameron Brick was doing the best she could, but she was clearly not feeling well. And like nothing was working, so you might as well try something else. <laughs> and they didn't really give her much of a chance to to do anything, which was a surprising decision. So with the upset, it creates, I said this last week, you and I are amongst the leaders. There's a lot of national writers who might be eating a lot of crow in a week's time. You and I have been hating on Iowa all year. They'd still, they would be the worst defense to make a final four in the last 20 years by a lot them and or Maryland. If you don't do it this year with this path, this path that you have right now, when's it going to happen? It'd, it'd be almost a bigger indictment at this point. If they didn't make it to a final four, because yeah. that door is as open as it's ever going to be. Yeah, every other top four seed in the region is gone. Duke lost yesterday. Texas lost yesterday. It's what they have to play Colorado and then the winner of Ole Miss and Louisville. That's your that's your path to the final four. And yeah, I think they still might not make it. I still I will not say that they're going to make it until they actually get there. But we'll say this to the, the end. path Col- looks easier. Colorado <laughs> and Georgia profile very similarly. And we can talk about the Georgia game. Iowa, lucky. I don't want to say lucky because they did make plays down the stretch and Georgia threw it away down the stretch, literally threw it away down the stretch a couple of times. But they were on the ropes for the second year in a row, awfully close to repeating last year against Creighton. Yeah, Iowa fans are probably going to get annoyed with me for saying this, but it felt like Georgia lost that game more than Iowa won that game and yes they did make some plays down the stretch but like Georgia just did not execute anything in the last couple minutes and it wasn't really much that Iowa did to them on defense that caused that as it was Georgia just some baffling decisions with the ball I I still don't know not the one where Diamond Battles literally threw it to Caitlin Clark but the one before that when Alicia Lewis I never I don't think they showed a replay did she literally just dribble on the sideline so I don't I'm just like yeah there's some baffling choices <laughs> we'll we'll preview the the Colorado game more in depth and I don't want to take away from Caitlin Clark this is not yeah the, the next 60 seconds is not anti Caitlin Clark she's going to win national player of the year I don't think they won the game because of Caitlin Clark yeah I know she had a bunch of assists they won because of what happened after she passed the ball to create those assists they won because Gabby Marshall made five threes they won because Marshall and Warnock combined for like, what, 29 or 30 points. They won because Kate Martin tipped a couple of balls on entry feeds and created turnovers in that zone, including the one in the final minute. You know, if Caitlin Clark shoots 25 times like she's been prone to do, not so much this season, but last year and the year before, they probably lose. So kudos to her for kind of growing within the offense and being the distributor and, and setting everything up. So she played phenomenally, even if she had an off shooting day. I just want to make sure I don't think the TV broadcast did it justice. Caitlin Clark didn't win Iowa that game. She certainly was a big factor. Everyone else did their part too, because if, if literally everyone else didn't, they probably lose. Yeah. And I think we've seen that a lot this season. This team is at their best when everyone else is contributing. And when it's just the Caitlin Clark and Monica Sonano show, they're, they're not very good in the games that they've lost. It's because like those two are trying to do it all and it's not a recipe for success. So 
Yeah, I think you have to give a lot of credit to their role players. It's also what won them the Big Ten tournament is that everyone else stepped up as well. And I think they're a much better team when it's not just Caitlin Clark hitting shots, it's everyone hitting shots. Gabby Marshall uh, is shooting 62% from three in the last 10 games. She was at 24% the year prior. Credit to Scott, I think it's Hope, Hope I'm saying this right, Scott Docterman, the uh, Iowa reporter for The Athletic who wrote a good article about pretty much exactly that in that Caitlin Clark is great. Gabby Marshall is stepping up. Other players are stepping up for the Hawkeyes who are in the Sweet 16 after the one-year absence. They'll take on Colorado. We'll stay in, in the Seattle 4 region. You want to talk Louisville? You want to talk Colorado? Uh, let's, let's talk Colorado being around that half of the bracket anyway. Where I was wrong. I said middle Tennessee. I didn't, I, I think I said they'd cruise into the sweet 16 kudos to Colorado. I didn't think the buffs would have a season high in threes by the end of the third quarter. Um, I thought they'd look more like they did last night in that game against Duke. Uh, I was very wrong. The buffs took it to the blue Raiders. It was never close. And then they, uh, they had quite the game last night against the blue devils. Got up to a really good start offensively, and then I think it was the game that a lot of people anticipated. Yep, it basically came down to first to 60, as you expect in, in every game. Um, but yeah, I didn't get to watch too much of that one live, but I think it's not surprising to see that, you know, Duke was able to to stop that initial offensive run, but Colorado just had enough offense to get it done, which... I think that's always been this problem with the Duke team. They're they're very, very, very good defensively, but they just can't reliably score the basketball. They Colorado took like a five-point lead in overtime, and it fell over. <laughs> Which, if you, if you go to the Iowa game, where they were up five a bunch of times against Georgia, that never fell over just because of the, the, the pace of the game. But five points and, and that kind of drag, knockdown, drag out, slugfest, yeah, it, it felt over and it turned out to be. So Colorado, a lot of teams are in their first Sweet 16 for the first time since, in the Buffs' case, I think it's 2003. So they'll take on Iowa and then Louisville. We talked a lot this year. Louisville has been disappointing. They've been disappointing. They haven't been great. Now they're in the Sweet 16. Yeah, I mean, it is like in a pretty dominant fashion as well. I mean, they struggled with Drake a little bit, but then went on and just they obliterated Texas yesterday. That one was not close at all. No, they opened the game on the seven nothing run. Texas kind of had a counter, but then Cardinals took off running. And Haley Van Lith, she's an All American honorable honorable mention. You have to mention that. I think it ruffles some feathers, including last night the handshake line. But she's playing like a first or second team All American in the last, not just the last two games, the last couple of weeks and. Lo and behold, I think that's the big difference that she's playing like one of the best players in the country. Yeah, I think that's been a big difference for them. She struggled, I think, with her shot some at the beginning of the year, had some up and downs, but she's really been at that that next level for for the last few weeks. And that's been huge for Louisville. And all of a sudden I feel like you're looking at like a Louisville team that were like hasn't been good all season, but like looking at what's left in this region, like, could they go to the final four? Yeah. Yeah. Remember, <laughs> you know the last time they were a five seed? No, I don't. 2013. Do you remember what happened in 2013? <laughs> Didn't they go to the Final Four? <laughs> they went to the national title game. That was the Shoney Schimmel blocking Brittany Griner game against Baylor in the in the Sweet 16. So maybe deja vu for Jeff Walls and company. On the flip side, Oregon, I think, is the most disappointing team in the country this year. 
Texas has got to be close, right? Like they were a four seed they hosted, but they it's the preseason top five team. Every time you felt like they might be turning a corner, they lost, including the, the final nail in the coffin last night. Yeah, and I think for them to not even lose in like a close fashion last night, to lose in the way they did is especially disappointing. You thought, you know, they got Sonia Morris back. They got kind of that shooting piece back. They might make a bit of a run in this this tournament and get it together. And just once again, kind of a another disappointing finish for them, which has been really the story of the season. A brutal, brutal weekend for the Big 12 which we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll go through who had good and bad weekends for conferences. Uh, spoiler, the Big 12 is my answer. But we'll go back to Greenville, too. We talked about the Indiana upset uh, at the hands of Miami. Time for you to give your favorite team their flowers. I, you got a lot of criticism for your Villanova Wildcats, and they still have to win two games. But suddenly, that door's open for Villanova. So talk, talk up your girls. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, well, Maddie Seagrass, unsurprisingly, absolutely fantastic this weekend. I think she's up to 66 points, most in the tournament already. So, yep, no no surprise there, really. But I think the big thing for Villanova yesterday was that Lucy Olsen also stepped up huge for them. She had 23 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists, and that win over Florida Gulf Coast. I think a game that a lot of people thought would be close and was not close at all. Nova won that game by, by 20 points, and have kind of cruised through these first two rounds and yeah are they gonna fully make it to the final four we'll see but I mean the path to the elite eight just got a lot more open for them with that Indiana loss I think they're gonna match up pretty well with that Miami team yeah and my my only thought from this game because I agree with everything you said Lucy Olsen in particular she doesn't need to nearly put up a triple double but just to get that secondary scoring because Seagrass has scored scores 20 points every game, literally every game, and they've lost. Yes. So the fact that they just got had even one other option who played so well, um, that, that could be the difference at the right time of year. My, my only other takeaways on the Florida Gulf Coast side, um, last week we said, well, they were, the odds makers said, that 12 versus 5 upset over Washington State wasn't actually an upset. We said they would win. They'd gone and done it over the Cougs. And uh, I, it's, the committee, you know, obviously you, you don't base things on a year-to-year or historic basis, at least until you do. Like, look at the men's side. Gonzaga, they play a bad schedule every year. It doesn't matter. They're ranked in the top 10. And Florida Gold Coast certainly isn't Gonzaga, but they've won 30-plus games for four straight years, or they would have. They were limited by the COVID year. They went 26-3. and three. They've won four NCAA tournament games since 2015. They were seeded 12th in the last three of them. Eventually, if they keep winning 30 games a year, the committee has to realize this isn't a 12 seed. Not to say they're a four or a five seed. They could be an eight, a nine, a seven. Like, this is a good program. Sure, they they got blown out. They made it interesting kind of in the third quarter. But this is a Florida Gulf Coast team that I think needs a little more respect from the committee. Yeah, I think the 12th spot just isn't a fair seating. And then it's not fair to the person that gets the five either, because now you've got a much harder route that you should have to getting to the second round. Did you catch my Shania reference? Uh, No, I wasn't. Gone and done it? Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's a good one. It's just me. My brain is struggling a little. People are going to think that I'm a Shania Twain fan. I'm not, but (laughs) my wife helped me out with that one. Um, <laughs> any other thoughts from Greenville too? So that's the top half of the bracket. Bottom half went chalk LSU. 
you were very right on Villanova. Sorry, LSU hater. You were not right on the Tigers. You had them losing in the round of 32. I had UNLV pulling off the upset against Michigan, too. Uh, That did not come to be. But LSU took care of business, and they looked business-like doing it. There wasn't – I think the Hawaii game was closer than maybe a lot of people thought it would be, but it was never in doubt. Um, And then Michigan never really had a chance. Yeah, uh, it pains me to say this, but unfortunately, I think we're going to see a Nova LSU only eight game. That might kill you. Yeah. One way or the other. Yeah, it it probably will. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, well, Utah, I mean, Princeton had, had Utah on the ropes in that game. I thought it, that one was really close and it was similar in a lot of ways to Iowa, Georgia, and that you've got like this, the higher seeded team, that's the big offense and the, the lower seeded team. That's the really good defense and kind of just like Georgia Princeton couldn't quite pull it off, but I I just don't think that Utah's going to be able to compete with Angel Reese's rebounding. I think that's probably going to do them in. Could you imagine the headlines if, Aaliyah Boston or Cameron Brink had 25 points and 24 rebounds in an NCAA tournament game against a team that was ranked inside the top 20 for the vast majority of the season. And I don't, I didn't hear a peep about, I had to see on the bottom line on ESPN that Reese had 25 points and 24 rebounds. And yet she's not in the, she's not in the player of the race conversation because she had one bad game against the Gamecocks. I, I just don't understand that. Like, since when have we allowed like one game to define a player's season? Like I'm sure like, right now you could go on Caitlin Clark's resume from the season and find a game where she shot horribly and like did not have a good game. And we're not talking about her season in terms of that one game. And I realized that like LSU put themselves a little bit in that position with the schedule that they played, but the numbers that Angel Reese like continued to put up all through SEC play and is now doing in the tournament, like how is she honestly she probably should have won national player of the year let alone to not even have her in the conversation is ridiculous megan gower lsu hater angel reese (laughs) defender love to see it i want to tell you a story it's a story about a scandal broken relationships gossip rumors money corporate rivalry and a broom a performance enhancing broom my name is john cullen I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. <laughs> we've talked Greenville 2, we've talked Seattle 4. Uh, let's go to Greenville 1, where Chalk, the top four seeds advanced. Let's start with Notre Dame ton of credit to the Irish. I think a lot of people left them for dead. Olivia Miles out for the tournament. They officially announced it a couple of days beforehand. I think they got an assist from Mississippi State, who uh, Creighton, I think, more more so no-showed than Mississippi State won. But the, the Irish, everyone left them for dead, and here they are still alive and standing. 
Yeah, I think incredibly impressive that they are in the Sweet 16. It is not something I would have picked. I thought without Olivia Miles, they were probably, they'd win that first round game. They probably wouldn't make it past that. And they they did it though, which is, I think, really impressive to be in the Sweet 16, despite all of that. Yeah, I, I don't want to overstate it. I mean, they beat 14-seeded Southern Utah, no offense, and then an 11-seeded Mississippi State. They didn't beat the Las Vegas Aces, but kudos to Neil Ivey and company. They have a real, real tough matchup against Maryland. Anyone that can score, like if Notre Dame was in, if we traded Iowa in Notre Dame, I think the Irish would feel a lot better. I just don't see how they can keep up scoring-wise with anyone left in the Greenville 1 region. Um, do, do you have a problem, though, with I saw some people taking umbrage with the way Notre Dame handled the Olivia Miles situation. They were so mum for literally two and a half to three weeks. And then a couple of days after Selection Sunday, oh, she's out for the year. I didn't have an issue with it. Did you? I don't take an issue with it at all. I like if like you know how the committee works. Like if they know that your star's out, they're gonna seat you lower and it's gonna make your path harder. So why why would you tell them that that's the case? Like it just wouldn't make sense. I I, I take no issue with it. I think they did what they should do. In the land of sunshine and rainbows and and unicorns, sure, be open and honest and transparent. <laughs> There's a lot dirtier things that go on than yeah. everyone probably assumed when they didn't say she was fine, that she was out for the year. If if you were still clinging on to hope, I think that was a little, uh, some, some false hope <laughs> that, that you, you probably deep down inside knew it wasn't going to come to be. So I have no issues with Notre Dame. They're in the sweet 16 against Maryland who looked, they looked bad. I'm not gonna say bad for a half, but Arizona, they trailed Arizona at halftime and then, Blew him out of the water in Diamond Miller. If she plays like that, Terps could potentially do some damage against South Carolina should the Gamecocks also make the, make the Elite Eight. Yeah, I think they looked really good in the second half of that that Arizona game, and especially Diamond Miller. And that could be an interesting matchup if we get it for sure. And obviously, we've seen enough to say that I'm not going to feel like guaranteed that we're going to get any of these matchups at this point. But um, I, I do think that Maryland's probably got one of the easier paths to to getting to an elite eight right now with the the Olivia Miles situation at Notre Dame. Miller had 20 points on nine of 10 shooting. Not bad. She could have been 10 of 10 shooting, but uh, <laughs> so good, good for the Terps to get to the Sweet 16. Top half of the bracket, UCLA, kind of like Diamond Miller. Bruins got a big game from Charisma Osborne in an entertaining matchup with Oklahoma. Uh, Bruins, I don't think this could be because they play in the Pac-12 on the West Coast where people don't see them. They're so young that people may have counted them out. They weren't really in the top 16 conversation until Selection Sunday when they were in the top 16. They were the 16th team. Bruins are a team that, saying they can make a final four would require a a very large leap of faith given who their opponent is, but the Bruins, given what we've seen elsewhere, it's not super unrealistic, especially against the South Carolina team. They've already seen. Yeah. I think South Carolina really closely at home in that game. I think the final margin's a little wider than the really, you know, the game would, would indicate if you watched it back because fouling at the end and all of that stuff. But they were, I believe, up at one point in the fourth quarter. Um, 
on South Carolina in that game. They it was tied at the, the end post. of three. Yeah. Yeah, they defended the post really well. So it could be interesting, especially I don't think they quite got the and obviously South Carolina's defense has something to do with this, but they didn't quite get like that monster performance from Charisma Osborne in that first meeting. And she played really, really well for them last night. 36 points, career high. She's a senior. She's like this team is really young, but they have her in terms of leadership on the floor. And that game could get interesting. I, I still think South Carolina's gonna win it, but it's one to keep an eye on, I think. She had 36. It doesn't get any more different going from Oklahoma's defense, which might be the worst in Power 5, to South Carolina's defense, who is not the worst in Power 5. Do you have any thoughts on South Carolina in their first two rounds? South Florida gave them a game for a half, but ultimately uh, pretty much went as expected. Yeah, I don't think there's much to say there. Like like you said, as expected. I guess some credit due to South Florida for keeping it close for a half because that's that's more than a lot of teams can say against South Carolina. But ultimately, like we've seen every other time this season, that it's been close at the half. Their their depth and their rebounding and everything won out. Yeah, I saw I saw a lot of people go, "Oh my God, South Carolina's losing." If you watch this team at all, they sometimes get off the slow starts. They've trailed at at through ten minutes, I think seven or eight times now this year. It's fine. Don't panic. Even if they're down yeah. seven, eight, nine points, it's fine. They're not Iowa. They're generally not going to score 20 points in five minutes and blitz you. But Sunday's kind of what they do. They kind of get a feel for the game. South Florida threw every punch they possibly had in the first 20 minutes. And then it's great. You're good. You ran <laughs> out of steam. All right. We're just going to do what we do. Uh, and, and so that's just, I think it's just a very South Carolina type game. So even if they fall behind to UCLA, they fall behind to Maryland or Iowa, or whoever they might play down the road, don't freak out if they're losing in the first quarter or at halftime. Come the third and fourth quarters when South Carolina really becomes South Carolina. Any other thoughts from Greenville one? I'm at a Creighton. They no showed. I'm annoyed at that. Um, <laughs> I think and West Virginia. Continuing the Big 12's bad week, went one and done, and then lost their coach to Minnesota. So not a great week for the Big 12. And then uh, last region we haven't talked about, Seattle 3. We'll start with the top seed, Virginia Tech. Continues to look good. South Dakota State, I think that scoreline is flattering, the 12-point loss. Um, and Hokies, the, the, if you take away South Carolina, three of the four most impressive teams through two games might be in this region. Yeah. Yep, I think that's fair. Um, honestly, I think I said this somewhere that like I thought Virginia Tech would be the first one seed to lose, and obviously I was very wrong about that. <laughs> so a lot of credit to them, but I'm, no surprise they won the one sixteen, right? But South Dakota State, a really good team, and they made that look easy as well. Georgia Amor, I mean, she's gone bananas the last five games, averaging like twenty two a game. I don't love nineteen three point attempts against the Jackrabbits. That's that's a lot. Uh, but she made seven of them, so okay, but keep it up. And then Elizabeth Kitley just does what Elizabeth Kitley does. She's kind of quiet, kind of like Mackenzie Holmes, puts up a lot of numbers, doesn't get a whole lot of attention, um, did win ACC Player of the Year again, but nationally I feel like she's overlooked. Yeah, Can't overlook her now. Hokies are in the Sweet 16 against Tennessee. Now, kind of like Notre Dame, I don't want to – 
to say, t- you know, Tennessee hasn't beaten a one seed and a two seed. You know, they beat a, a 13 seed and a 12. But boy, they look really, really good doing it. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's something to be said for at least looking good doing that because there's, we can talk about Iowa State in a minute, which could not beat the 12 seeds. So, um, you know, there, there's something to be said for that. And they, they do look well, like they look good in those games and that's a good sign for them. But I think this, this game against Virginia Tech is the real test of where the Tennessee team is at because like you said, they haven't really had to play anyone necessarily to get there at this point. No, but if you beat a good Toledo team that had won 19 in a row by 40, by literally doubled them up, 47 on a home floor, Ricky Jackson looks really good. Jordan Horston looks really good. Tess Darby is doing enough. This is a a Lady Vols team that I think they went through their early season, most of the season struggles against good teams, and I think it's paying dividends now where they had that comeback against LSU. Maybe something clicked even in the loss to South Carolina the next day. And I think this would be going against my personal bracket. I think Tennessee win in that Sweet 16 matchup. Uh, we'll, we'll preview that a little more in depth here in, in a second. But first, bottom half of the bracket, Columbus got weird. The whole the whole yeah. thing was weird. The, the first four games, St. John's wins it in the final couple of seconds. Then North Carolina beats the Johnnies in the final couple seconds. And then the Heels lose in the final seconds. It's been a whirlwind week for the, for the Tar Heels, but Ohio State, you think they missed J.C. Sheldon? <laughs> yeah, she has been. She is the reason they are in the Sweet 16 right now because she's kind of really pulled it together for them in that UNC game. Even like Ohio State struggled early with JMU too. They're down um, 16. Yeah, they were down big and they, they turned it around as a surprise there. I think their press tends to wear on people and does turn it around, but um. Yeah, Sheldon is the reason that they are in the second weekend for sure. Didn't have a great statistical day yesterday, but she made the big shot when it mattered and great move. She split through a double team and hit a tough runner from about eight feet out to to win it in the last couple of seconds. Uh, So the Buckeyes get UConn, who Baylor, that was was not a 19-point game last night. The Huskies pulled away in the third and fourth quarters, but UConn's recent return to form continues and... I don't think she's 100% back, but AZ Fudd looked a lot more like AZ Fudd in that second half. Yeah, I mean, it was a one-point game at the half, really close game. Um, only a one-point game thanks to a, a – cra- or no, it was a five-point It was a five point game at the half. I right, they made it a one-point game early yeah. in the third. Gino called a timeout yes. because they are playing the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> yeah, Baylor hit a lot of threes in that game, but then for UConn in the third, it was – I mean, AZ Fudd went off. She scored more points alone than than Baylor scored in the third quarter she had 16 Baylor had 15 and then maybe not as much in the box score but Aubrey Griffin changed that game dramatically when she came in in the third quarter it felt like every single loose ball she somehow got a hand on and just completely between that and then fun knocking down the shots turned what was a very close game into all of a sudden a, a 15 point lead for UConn because when it was a one-point game, Ali Edwards went on the bench with four fouls. So then you were wondering, all right, who's going to step up for UConn? Those two did. I think a sign of a great player, similar to what you saw with Paige Beckers last year. AZ was slow to return. Her numbers weren't great. And then came a situation where, okay, our All-Americans on the bench for the foreseeable future. I got to get, I got to get mine and got to do it quickly. Kind of like Paige Beckers last year was 
60 or 70 percent of herself second half of the elite eight and onwards all right it doesn't matter i gotta take over and that's what daisy fudd did so this yukon team uh into the sweet 16 for the 29th straight year which is 29th or 26th 29 29 it's been a long ass time that's 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 the moral of this story <laughs> we'll move on to the previews in a second before we'll put a bow on on the opening two rounds of the tournament Give me your conference who had the best weekend and give me one who had the worst. Well, the worst I think is pretty obvious because there's not a single big 12 team left. First time since 91. No big 12 team in the sweet 16. (laughs) Not great. Best. I feel like probably the SEC kind of have to go with. You've got, I mean, South Carolina and LSU taking care of business. Ole Miss moving on in a, a rather unexpected way Tennessee moving on Georgia giving Iowa almost all they could handle I thought the SEC had a really really good weekend I'll agree with that Mississippi State came real close to making a sweet mm-hmm. 16 as an 11 seed Bama should have won its first round game and then was up 22 <laughs> to 4 and lost not yeah. great but all, all in all yeah a great weekend for the SEC who I think got a lot of flack including from both of us of just being a down year Turns out it's still it can still be a down year and you can still have a good tournament. The two don't have to go hand in hand, but a nice weekend for the SEC. And then a shout out the ACC, all the triangle teams lost North Carolina, Duke and NC State. But Miami into the Sweet 16 didn't see that coming. Louisville into the Louisville. Sweet 16. You could you could see a path, but I don't know how realistic it looked, especially January, February. Uh, Notre Dame's into the Sweet 16. We mentioned no one saw that coming despite their seating. So a nice weekend for, for the ACC. Um, and I thought also a bad weekend for the Pac-12 um, as a whole. Sure, Utah advanced. Stanford lost. The Darlings, Washington State lost. Arizona. Colorado's still there. I forgot Colorado was there. Yeah, so I take it Colorado, back. I take it back. UCLA. No, I, about I feel like they had a decent weekend. I don't think it was too bad for the Pac-12. Yeah. All right. So we'll wrap up. Let's preview some of these Sweet 16 games. Uh, I guess we could start at the top. South Carolina, UCLA. You talked about it. A little before, do the Bruins have a shot? I think they have a shot. I don't think it's going to happen, but I think they have a shot. <laughs> um, I think one I thing win the lottery UCLA... today. I probably won't, but yeah, yeah I could. <laughs> one thing that UCLA does really, really well, and they did it well in the first matchup, is get on the offensive glass. And there's not a lot of teams in the country that can kind of match South Carolina in that area. But I think it was like just a two point difference in second chance points yep, 15, in the first 13. matchup between those two teams. So I think that's an underrated piece of the matchup. There's not a lot of, te- no one can keep up with South Carolina glass. There's not a lot of teams that can keep it close. And despite the fact that they're not all that big, UCLA is one of those and it comes from, I mean, their guards are all really good rebounders. Chris Osborne is a much better rebounder than she probably should be for her size. Um, so I think it could get interesting. I still fully expect South Carolina to come out of it, but I would still have an eye on it. In an upset bid, I think this is the more interesting of the Greenville one sweet 16 games. Notre Dame, kudos to you for making it here. I don't see how they score enough against Maryland, even though the Terps defense isn't great. I just, I can't see it. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't know that there's that much to talk about in that one. I think Maryland's going to have a, a pretty easy go of it. My, the one stat I'll bring, uh, since losing at Indiana in January, the Terps have failed to hit 72 times. They scored 69 <laughs> at Nebraska and scored 66 at Michigan State. So Notre Dame, your baseline is 70. 
Can you get to 70? You yeah. did against Southern Utah, but you, you barely hit 50 count. against Cal. Uh, yeah, you barely hit 50 against Mississippi State, and you didn't hit 40 in the ACC semifinals. So that's a, it's a tough one in Greenville one. Greenville two, Miami and Villanova. I think the key in this one, all about pace. Wildcats really like to take the air out of basketball. They're 328th in, in pace. They want this game in the 60s. Miami might want this in the 70s. Um, I think Villanova, I mean, have to, have to consider Villanova the favorite though, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think as the story is with Villanova, Maddie Segrist is gonna, as good as Miami's defense is, like they're still going to have a really hard time guarding Maddie Segrist. So I think we're getting, starting to get to the stage of the tournament where Villanova definitely needs more than Segrist to win. But if Lucy Olsen can produce, if... They can get. They didn't get a lot out of Christina Dulce in that Florida Gulf Coast game. She had a lot of foul trouble, but we've seen her be really good at times this season. So if they can get a little more from her, things like that are going to have to happen. But I still think they're a pretty heavy favorite in this one. She has to stay out of foul trouble. Even she doesn't have to score that much. She only had four points in the blowout over Cleveland State, but she had 16 rebounds. Yeah, she's that. Her, that, that yeah, yeah, that defensive presence. Yeah, exactly. To me, it's not her scoring that they need. It's her presence on the glass. And then she also creates second chance opportunities for them, too. I think you saw that in that first quarter of the the UConn game in the biggest tournament when UConn struggled a little bit. It was because she was all over the offensive glass for them as well. She broke Aliyah Edwards for like two weeks in one of the matches where she blocked her like three times in the first quarter. And then Edwards, I'll say, yeah, she sucked for like two weeks after that before before finding her form. I think (laughs) I think Dulcie broke her for uh, until she got reset. Uh, so that's the first one in Greenville too. LSU Utah. The the matchup I think most people are this might be the one of the more intriguing Sweet 16 games. Yeah. Two teams that like to score. One has a good defense, the other tries to play defense. You you <laughs> lean LSU in this one? Yeah, I think the like I think we've seen a theme here, right? That like defense and rebounding tends to win in in March and I think LSU's got Utah beat handedly in both of those categories. I mean, you've got two stars here. You've got like the Angel Reese and then you've got Lisa Pilly. So that should be a fun, they're not going to play each other directly necessarily, but it should be a fun battle between those two. But I think LSU's depth and then also this, their defense probably wins out as much as it pains me to put them into the Elite Eight. I think that's probably what's going to happen. <laughs> Utah has the ability to hit 10, 11, 12 threes. I think they'll have to because they're going to lose the rebounding battle probably by double digits and you have to make up for that from the long line which they can okay team who shot 12 of 20 something against stanford also a team that shot five of 26 against princeton from beyond the arc so they need they need the good youths to come up i think to have a shot greenville two done let's move to the west coast seattle three best sweet 16 matchup really looking forward to it Hokies, lady vols break it down yeah, these are two pretty different teams. I feel like you've got, you know, Virginia Tech where you've got Kitley inside and then uh, Georgia Moore on the, the perimeter. So that's kind of where they thrive. And then with Tennessee, it's really all about the wings and Rakia Jackson and, and Jordan Horston. So a very kind of interesting matchup in terms of different styles of play, not kind of two similar teams at all. Similar to, I guess, um, Utah LSU and that they're not very similar teams, but I don't know. Tennessee's just rolling right now. I feel pretty good about them going into this one and don't know how 
necessarily Virginia Tech's going to to match up well with Jordan Horson and Rikia Jackson. I think that's going to be a, a difficult duo for them to guard, especially because Tennessee has Hollingshed in the post. They've got other sides that they've got to bring in and guard as well. So I kind of like Tennessee's odds. In this. They played earlier in the season. It was a, a three-point game. That was back when Tennessee kind of sucked. I don't think Tennessee sucks anymore. So. Did they have Tamari Key in that game? Was that early enough? You know, they might have, but I think Rakia Jackson definitely didn't play in it. I don't know that Tamari Key played in it. Looking it up right now. Virginia Tech. Oh, no. That's that's Saturday's game. Stand by. <laughs> Virginia Tech. Yep, 59-56. Box score. Tamari Key played 28 minutes in that one, but you're right. The No Rakia Jackson. So you can essentially throw that out on top of the fact that it was November or early December. Very different looking Tennessee team. I'm interested in, in whether Virginia Tech can keep it up from three. Tennessee isn't great three-point defense. Virginia Tech, they make like seven, eight threes a game. Tennessee also doesn't shoot it great from three. They're more of inside-the-arc type team. Uh, so, yeah, I, I like the the clash of styles that have similar results. You know, her hoop stats ratings, one is ranked eighth, one is ninth. I think, I think Virginia Tech is eighth. It doesn't really matter. Um, so two similar predictions. Teams in terms of production, very different ways of getting there. Fascinated by it. And then leads us to the next Seattle three sweet 16 matchup. Two teams that we we talked briefly about this last week. I think Ohio State is a tricky matchup for the Huskies with the way that the Buckeyes play. Yeah, I think the biggest highlight of this one, right, is like the Buckeyes love to turn over teams. And UConn has not exactly been the best at taking care of the ball nope. this season, to say it lightly. Um, so I think that's going to be the biggest thing is how does how does UConn handle that press? I mean, they've got five days to prepare for it. And Gino's won 11 titles for a reason. So I feel like they probably are going to have a decent game plan coming into it. And I think also having FUD back, they've got more ball handling on the floor than they necessarily have had. But I think that's going to be the biggest challenge for UConn in this one is how do you get through the press, not let it disrupt you too much. I think if you have to play Ohio State in the half court, UConn has the clear advantage, but you've got to make it a game in the half court. I feel like I'm repeating myself here. Buckeyes, they're 7 of 32 from 3 in the first weekend of the tournament. Got to do better than that against the Huskies. Even if you force 18, 19 turnovers, got to be able to make shots. Taylor Mikesell, JC Sheldon company need to be able to, they probably need to surpass seven makes in the game, I think, to have an opportunity. They don't have to do what Baylor did last night and make like 11. Well, they might have to. (laughs) That's Seattle three. And then Seattle four, Louisville and Ole Miss. Break it down. What you got? <laughs> well, we've got two really good defenses. Louisville probably a little bit better of an offense. This is like the wildest Sweet 16 matchup. I don't think anyone <laughs> would have predicted that this is what we would be talking about. Louisville, Ole Miss. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like Ole Miss or Louisville is probably going to execute offensively a little bit better than Stanford did because they didn't execute offensively at all and obviously a lot of credit is due to Ole Miss's defense there but I think Ole Miss is going to have to find a way to score the basketball in this one if they're going to kind of continue on the streak I don't think the kind of like five minute scoring drought in the in the fourth quarter is going to go well for them if they they get into that position again 
Another thing I got wrong, I thought Gonzaga would be able to outscore Ole Miss. And by outscore, I mean get into the 60s. And then the Zags didn't do anything against this Ole Miss defense. Haley Van Lith needs to keep playing like Haley Van Lith, but I think if she can score all she wants, Cameron Brink did pretty much whatever she wanted against Ole Miss, but it didn't matter because no one else did much of anything. So you need Chris Lincar, you need Olivia Cochran, you need Morgan Jones, not all three, but you need one or two of them yeah. just to play well enough to, you can win this game, you can win this game 55-54. Like it doesn't have to be in the 70s. Uh, I think if it gets into the 70s, Ole Miss is in trouble. I think Louisville just has a little more firepower. Just a little more. That leaves us with Iowa and Colorado. Colorado matches up. I looked up. I compared their resumes, by the way, on her hoop stats. Megan, you know this. If you compare resumes, it's the best tool, I think, on any basketball-related site. Everything's broken down. Just pick your two teams. It's very easy to find. Gives you all the raw numbers. It gives you all the metrics. And metrics say Colorado and Georgia are very similar teams. So this could be very similar to what we just saw if if Colorado can control the control how the game is played, the tempo, the rhythm, the flow, whatever you want, whatever verb you want. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that because I was worried I was also just trying to convince myself that Iowa was going to lose still when I was looking at this matchup. But yeah, they are very similar teams. They're very similar defensively. Colorado, maybe a little bit of an edge on on Georgia offensively, which which could be a good sign for them. I think Quay Miller is probably a better scorer than anyone that, that Georgia has, as good as Diamond Battles was in that game. But I think the key is, again, trying to control the pace and play the game that, that Colorado wants to play, which I thought Georgia did a well of a good job of in the second half against Iowa. But that first half was played at like 41 40 halftime. yeah Iowa wants to play and I was very impressed that Georgia was able to stay at it in a 41 40 type battle that's not what I would have predicted though I guess they're they're used to playing an SEC defense and probably felt like they could score at will against Iowa in comparison um but it could be interesting I don't know if I have as much faith in like Colorado as I did in, in Georgia to keep it close to I think Georgia there's something about like the the grit factor of like a player like Diamond or not Diamond Di- or yeah Diamond Battles, yeah, diamond battles yep. like diamond battles that like is an X factor in that game like like she just like prides herself on shutting a player like Caitlin Clark down and trying to do that. Um but it, it could get interesting. I want it to be interesting. <laughs> So Georgia and Colorado, they profile similar. You're right. The Buffs, they're ranked 57th in offensive rating. Georgia's 70th, so a little better. The defense, one's 15, one's 13, so basically a wash. The Buffs do play at a slower pace. I think if they have a first half similar to the one in Iowa City, I think it's over. Iowa, if they get on the front foot, they start pushing the pace. I don't think Colorado can keep up. If they're able to just limit the possessions just a little bit, I think they have an opportunity, but I will say, I think pressure's on Iowa. You still need a better offense than you do a defense to make a Final Four. The median offense of the Final Four teams, 11th nationally. Scoring D is just 25th as the median, so you need a better offense, which Iowa obviously has. But you scrape by Georgia at home. You have Colorado 
who's basically just Georgia West, and then you have Ole Miss or Louisville. The draw, you couldn't drop, I don't think, a better, couldn't drop a better draw for Iowa. You have a bunch of defense first teams, and you have the best player in the country, you have the best scorer in the country. Prove us wrong. Because if you don't make it, if you don't, if Iowa doesn't make a Final Four, they will be absolutely hammered. Yeah, that's the kind of should be with by this national draw. media. <laughs> they've, you know, they've taken a lot of crap this year about how they're not good enough to make a Final Four. The opportunity is in front of them. If they do not do it, that would be a massive failure. And I will gladly grow next week if they win two games that they frankly should win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think the way this region has now fallen, like they should make a Final Four. I'm still not convinced that they're going to, but they probably should. <laughs> so go do it, Iowa. Go do it. Megan, next time we talk to you, you are going to be in Dallas. Go Final yeah, Four. Excited. You excited? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. Uh, what <laughs> Maybe you have... can't tell because I'm tired today, but I am very excited. <laughs> what do you, are, are we slowing down the content a little? You were on like 75 podcasts and video streams and sub stacks last week. So what do we have coming down the pipe? Yeah, keeping it a little more more tame this week, but we'll still have stuff coming on the Her Hoop Stats podcast and some some stuff coming over on that newsletter, but slowing it down, trying to not do 75 podcasts this week. Well, enjoy your your enjoy the basketball this weekend. Enjoy your last week of I'm I'm glad there aren't 48 more games this week. I couldn't take yeah. it. So enjoy the sweet 16, enjoy the Elite Eight. Follow Megan at Megan Gower. I'm at R underscore Joyce34. By the time we talk to you next week, folks. Be in the final four in Dallas. Enjoy the weekend.